0: so this is our last week looking at our church uh i'm so glad we've done this the feedback's been really good uh not that you have to agree with everything when i say it's good i've loved the conversations i had a family that wanted me to come for dinner and they said we have questions about the church and now they're like "Ah, you don't even have to come for dinner we got all our questions answered but i was there last night anyway for dinner um other people, we put some dis- we- disequilibrium in their life, which is good sometimes. Other people, we've changed a little bit of our thinking or we're in a dialogue. So uh, wherever we are, I think it's a good thing to talk about what we do collectively. And so week one, we did look at our mission and values, week, uh, vision, week two, we looked at our values. There's seven of them, you saw them in the video. And today we're gonna look at the future. And you may be a hair disappointed because I'm not going to tell you about cool initiatives we're doing or ministry launches or exotic places we're going to go on the globe to reach people for Christ. Most of that is in a vision we crafted in 2015. We called it our 2020 vision, which is the things we thought God had for us in the next uh, so many years. Many of them we've accomplished. There's still a few out on the horizon. I'll talk about that in a moment, but as a pastor, I'm more concerned with who we're becoming, not only as a people, but collectively, you know, what's God have for us? If we're really gonna be fully devoted followers of Christ, who are the people that we're becoming? When I started the series, I went to Matthew chapter five, where Jesus said very, you know, in a very strict way, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, you are a city set on a hill. Basically what Jesus was saying is, and you hear me say this all the time, The church can play offense, we don't have to play defense. Uh, There's no place that can hold us out. History's proven that out. The church has gone into all the world. Now, um, we have to think this through, right? I think what Jesus was saying is, we have the only message, we steward the gospel message. It is the only hope for humanity, it really is. This week in the Wall Street Journal, there was a cover story, quite lengthy, about how this is the best time to be alive. If you look at infant mortality and extreme poverty and much of the standard of living around the world, this is the greatest time to have been born, but they're tracing it all back to the Enlightenment. In other words, with these wonderful humanistic philosophers like Locke and David Hume, you know, they got away from church dogma and kind of moved us into an area of democracy and plenty and capitalism, and here we are today. Uh, They gave God, the church, or the Bible no credit. Uh, If you know anything about history, there's a lot of credit due in those areas. Uh, But here's the funny thing about secular entities. Uh, They write that on a Monday, and then Friday they have to write about 17 people losing their lives in a reckless school shooting. And the reason is, is there's, there's really no hope for mankind. They also deleted the last century where 100 million people... Intentionally lost their lives in war and genocide, but we'll leave that as a little footnote and an aside. We have the only message of hope. Peter said we have a living hope. Um, the, the, the gospel message, not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's why Jesus said, "Never be ashamed of the gospel." You know, I don't know why we're ashamed. It's the oh, it was our hope, and it's the hope for the world. And Jesus said, "Therefore, never put a light under a bushel." Never hide this message, but get it out to the forefront. Now, Jesus did say if we lost our saltiness, that the salt would no longer be good, except men would trot it under their feet. Now, here's Here's what's interesting. Salt can never lose its saltiness. You could dig salt up 100,000 years from now, and it would still be salty. There's only one way salt loses its saltiness, and that's to be diluted in liquid. So if I gave you a glass of salt water, you wouldn't like it. But if I got a gallon of water, it would be less salty. If I put it in the main city water system, you would never taste it. It would be a part of like the part for parts per billion we talk about. What Jesus was saying is, if you look at the S-curve of the big C church, that the only force that could ever stop the church would be that we would be diluted into culture. Basically, Jesus was saying that humanistic philosophy and culture and money and pleasure and the things of this world would dilute the power of our message. And there is a giant S-curve down even when it comes to the gospel. Forget CC, don't go. Look at Europe, the bastion of Christianity, especially England, and it's a shell of its former self. Now, God's all into new starts. Holy Spirit's going to go somewhere. Uh, You can read about Asia and what's going on in some African countries. God's never going to stop. However, Jesus did say in the last days, when he returned, would he find faith on the earth? And that was a rhetorical question. The answer was not the faith that we would expect. And the one thing we would find is conditions like the days of Noah, where people were kind of attending the things as business as normal, as though he would never step into human history. So what I want to do is I want to give you these three things we should become, and then I'll talk about some initiatives. The first thing we're becoming is people of impact. Not only does God want you to impact the world, he wants our church to impact the world. This is where small-mindedness and the idea that God's not a big God gets in the way, right? Because if I asked you how many people do you want to impact, your answer should be, I want maximum impact, as much as God would allow And how much impact does our church want? We want maximum impact. Um, In John chapter four, if you wanna turn there, uh, most of you know this chapter well, no pun intended, yeah, somebody got it, no pun intended. This is the woman at the well, that's what we call it. And Jesus ministers to her, She's, she's not a stellar believer, she's had five husbands, Jesus ministers to her And then sends her to her village where she becomes evangelist. She doesn't have to go to a monastery or seminary. She's not going to join his intimate group. Uh, Go on your way and change that village. Tell them who I am. The disciples return. They weren't there. They're the clergy. They're, They're the people that are going to change the world. They're having a hard time grasping what he's doing. And he says to them, do not say, there are still four months to the harvest, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And then Jesus went on to say, the problem isn't the harvest. The problem is there's not enough workers. Jesus is saying to disciples across the centuries, every once in a while, you're going to have to look up. You're going to have to stop navel-gazing about all your problems and stop looking around at all the people you know And you're just going to have to look up and orient yourself to the condition of the world. And Jesus said, when you do, you will see a plentiful harvest. It's not four months away. It's not when Greg Laurie comes at a harvest crusade. It's not something that when revival comes, we'll get to it. Jesus was basically saying, lost people are everywhere. And guess what? We were once in that condition. And that people matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. Jesus, when he called Peter earlier, he said to Peter, Peter, you're going to fish for men. And, you know, I'd probably fall in the category, that's like a cute metaphor, how you're a fisherman and now you're going to fish for men. Um, But Peter knew what Jesus was saying. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 16, verse 16 said, behold, I will send for many fishermen... This is God speaking, and they will fish for men, they will fish for them, and I will send many hunters, and they will hunt for them. And that chapter is all about judgment. See, what God is saying and what Jesus was saying is, judgment hangs on the earth. H- heaven and hell, eternity hangs in the balance, And who's going to reach these people? Who's going to look into the fields and be concerned and their hearts are going to break the way God's heart breaks? And Peter, you're going to fish for men, and by the way, it's not going to be easy. Uh, this wasn't fly fishing, this wasn't pleasure boating. Fishing in that time, you know, with storms and some of the rocky, you know, ground around the galley was a very labor-intensive thing. The church is called, we're called, to impact as many people as we can. Last week, I shared with you one of our core values is we take ventures in faith. It goes all the way back to the beginning of Calvary Chapel, 15 years ago, we took a venture of faith that seems like silly now, but it was a big deal then. Uh, WFIL came to us and they said, and they were the largest radio station, they said, we have a lot of great national speakers on our program. We need more local guys like you, so when somebody listens, they can come to your church. And we said, well, we really can't afford the program, so they took four small Calvary chapels and they put us on one day a week, and because we were the largest, we were on two days a week. The very first day, I'm not making this up, that we were on the radio, I received two emails. One was from a grade school friend, one was from a carpooling friend who was not a believer and neither was the grade school friend. Both of them had become believers, both of them heard me on the radio that day. That was kind of a little love tap that God said, hey, I think you made the right decision. We got multiple stories over 12 years, prisoners, shut-ins, I mean, Uh, We can go on and on about the impact of radio. Can I tell you a couple cool stories that happened that I'll never forget? I was flying to Chicago one time. I was in the last row, like the bulkhead was behind me. And I'm in a conversation with a colleague. We're getting up, we're deploying, and the guy turns around. He goes, "Uh, you must be Pastor Bob because I could tell that voice anywhere. And I'm like, thank God we weren't talking about something we shouldn't have been talking about. And then my next fear was, I don't know who this guy is. Now I'm going to be in trouble for that. He probably goes to church. He goes, no, I don't go to your church. I live in North Jersey, and I'm a Catholic. And I've never read the Bible, but I listen to you every day, and my whole world is being upended. And I wonder if I can ask you a few questions when we get out in the concourse. And I'm like, God, you're amazing. You know, we sleep in slumber, and your word's working through this radio, and it's having maximum impact. Several years ago, I was at the Kimmel Center. A young guy in his 20s taps me on the back. He goes, man, you must be Pastor Bob. I noticed you here. I never thought I'd see you. He said, I lived in Maniunk, and I was driving one day. I commute uh, about 3 o'clock, and the car in front of me had WFIL radio on the bumper sticker. I turned it on, and it was you. And I listened every day, became a Christian. Now I serve in my church. I never thought I'd be able to thank you And I'm so glad our paths crossed today. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. The last one came in the hot tub at my men's club where I play basketball. Don't get any mental images. If you've been in men's clubs, the attire is very interesting in a hot tub. I won't go any further. So I'm a little embarrassed. This guy goes, are you Pastor Bob? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, "Um, you know, I listen to you on the radio. And I'm Catholic. And he said, I'll probably always be Catholic, but guess what I do now? He goes, I listen to everybody else. I can't get enough of it. And I'm saying all this to say, what if I never met those three people? Uh, I would have never known. The, the impact we can have if we just look at the fields and we're willing to take a step. Everyone in this room wants to impact people for the gospel The reason is, we've all been impacted. And John, when he gave his announcement, talked about Thursday night. Seven things go on here. Today we do church, tomorrow's men's night. Uh, Most of you don't know anything about this. Wednesday, we have a classical co-op here for homeschoolers. We have 60 kids and their parents on all three levels on Wednesday. There's dance at night. Christianity Explored is at night. People exploring Christianity. Thursday, we had a professional Uh, video outfit, shooting a Christian, uh, some kind of documentary in our table because they love that environment. Last Friday and Saturday, we had a Mark Batterson conference for women, uh, kind of an empowering conference around his book, If. Yesterday, we had Christianity Explored here, uh, and it just goes on and on. I'm not bragging about programs, most of all of what I'm talking about was birth in someone like you sitting in the seat saying, hey, we think we like to step out and have impact. I had two, two guys come to my uh, office Friday, there was a meeting and they were wearing man up shirts and both these guys are retired. One guy uh, coaches CEOs, but he's now retired. He went on a sabbatical in January, rented an Airbnb on his own to hear from God on what his next step is. And they now together want to raise up 30 men in this church who are older to mentor 30 guys who are younger. And they want to do it on a, on a fabulous level. They want, to, they want to train these mentors, vet them, and then have them help other men. Uh, these are two guys in retirement saying, we have the time, talent, money. And I'm like, hey, this is exactly what we're looking for, exactly what we're looking for. So our prayer is, God, give us maximum impact. I'm not afraid to pray that prayer. We want to have maximum impact in Delaware Valley, the United States, the world. We want everyone to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I'll never shrink back from that. I'll never be embarrassed from it. I think it's the heart of God. So we're becoming people of impact. And if you're a member of our church, this will be a church of impact as long as we're around. The second thing we're becoming is a people of purpose. I want you to listen up about this one. Um, if you're a skeptic and your worldview is God's not in the picture, um, there is no purpose to life. Now, that's not Bob Gaglione. That's even philosophers, right? That's been the debate of philosophy. And I know atheists can live moral lives and do great things. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that Um, sans God life is meaningless it really is one of the great things that happens when you become a Christian is that a sense of purpose comes right Ecclesiastes God has made everything beautiful in this time and he's put eternity in our hearts and there's a purpose for everything under the sun we know where we came from we know where we're going and God begins to reveal to us who we can be now let's look at the S curve again right the slide down that I've been talking about uh, what are some of the things that's going against our church? Uh, ready for this? Age. Anybody's birthday today? Anybody? We had somebody in the first service. Anybody's birthday? You get a free cup of coffee in the cafe. See me after. Two. Uh, three, four, nine. So, so I do this whenever I have 30 or more people in a room, and it's never failed since college. If you ever have 30 or more people in a room, two people have the same birthday. Sometimes we get four or five matches. It makes no sense. It always works. Now, it doesn't mean they have, like, today's their birthday. Like, it could be September 6th, October 11th. You, You get the idea, right? So, because we have two birthdays, right? Our church just aged, we just got older. So I was in my 30s when we started this church and so were the people that started with me. We're all in our 50s. We're older. Just by showing up, we're aging and we're on the downward slide, okay? Our fight is we have to get younger. Can I tell you another fight? We're fighting cultural Christianity. Now, we're not fighting nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity is what many of us grew up in. You went to a denomination, you really didn't know God, Um, cultural Christianity is a little more deceptive. It's this weird American civil religion where you take a Christian and you baptize him in American culture and you get some form of American cultural Christianity where we all vote one way and we all look one way and and there's this strange intermixing which is not biblical as far as I've ever read. Um, And the farthest thing from anything I see in the gospel. The gospel is neither eastern nor western. Jesus told parables about workers who were worthy of a wage of anything the employer wanted to pay him. That's western. And then he talked about marriage festivals that were very eastern. So the Bible's not American. Sorry to burst your bubble today. I love America. I love some of the things that have happened. But the gospel's not American. The gospel is transforming. When we went through James, we realized that grace changes everything. Grace breaks us from the ideals of culture, breaks us from perfectionism. Grace allows us the freedom to be who we were created to be and gives us a purpose like the woman at the well beyond what we could ever think or dream. Now, to find your purpose, you'll never do it in your bedroom alone. You'll never do it on an island your own. God created this mystical thing called the church, the big sea church, the small sea church, where you come out of the shadows and you become known. Why? Because when you become known and when you come out of the shadows, the church becomes a place of growing and forming and shaping. You know what shapes most of us, marriage and kids? And for those of you who don't have a spouse or kids, uh, still go after it, but you're going to be shaped. Um, It's a very holy thing because every day you're going to see your imperfections and you're going to sacrifice for somebody else. And you're going to see God's heart more than ever. The church is the same way. People speak into our lives. They mentor us. They show us the way. You know what else is good in a church? Conflict. We think a perfect church is a church where there's no conflict. That's not true. Jesus said... Matthew 18, it's only one of two times he he mentioned the word church. He said, if you have something against your brother, go to your brother and work it out. If that doesn't work, bring the elders of the church. And then he said, I'm right here in the midst of you. Conflict can be a very good thing that we learn to work out, just like families have to work conflict out. It's a big part of discipleship. But we go through all that, and God gives us a purpose. Now, my purpose was to be a pastor. And I didn't know what that would mean or what God would do. I had a member in the congregation come up to me and says, I think my neighbor worked with you at Boeing. And he gave me the name. I said, oh, my gosh, this guy didn't just work with me. He was my cube mate for 10 years. And he brought this guy much older than me on a weekday, and we walked him around this property, and all the guy could say is, no way no way, no way. You know why? I was a guy in a cubicle. But God's purpose for me was something far different. And through all these years, God worked it out. If you get a chance, read Luke chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, where Jesus does something that we would all applaud. He sends the 12 disciples out to teach, heal, and cast out demons. And that makes all the sense in the world, right? One day he's going to die and be resurrected, and they're going to have to take him on the mission. But then he does something that I think we still understand. He sends out 72. So it's like, okay, yeah, here's another group of people that are going to do the same thing. Now, numbers mean a lot in the Bible. You may not know this. This is just a little aside information. Um, there's a chapter in the Bible, Genesis 10, that no one reads, okay? It's called the Table of Nations. Everyone goes from 9 to 11. Not only is it the table of nations, most of them have their organic tribal name, which doesn't match today, or those nations uh, are out of existence. But in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that we call the Septuagint, somebody went and counted those nations. How many do you think there are? 72. Now, I don't know if that's why Jesus sent 72. I'd like to go with it. It sounds kind of interesting, right? And it works anyway, because on the day of Pentecost, there were... People from every nation under heaven that heard them speak in other tongues. So, what was Jesus doing in this? Well, what he was saying is the mission of the church would not be carried out by paid professionals. Yes, the ministry of apostleship is a wonderful office, but the laity would do a predominant part of the ministry. That's why last week we talked about everyone with a gift. When the disciples come back, they're like, we love ministry. Demons are subject to us. People are getting healed. Yeah, anybody would sign up for this. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Don't marvel that the demons are subject to you. Marvel that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus was telling them that their motivation for ministry is not the aha moments of when we feel the Holy Spirit. But the aha moment is when a life is put back together together. And the fabric of a marriage is re And when hurting, people are healed. Jesus said, if you want to jump for joy, jump for joy at the fact that people were made whole again. That should be your joy. The truth of this is, whenever the church has embraced everyone to minister, it's soared. Whenever we think the paid clergy will do it, the church is tanked. My son Mike did a wonderful job last week talking about everybody with a gift. The truth is there's, there's some hands only you can hold, some tears only you can dry, some children only you can speak into their hearts. That's why we're a community. That's why we need each other. That's why the church is not all about us. It's all about what we bring. Romans says, how shall they call on him who they never believed? Or how shall they hear without a preacher? And how can we have a preacher if no one's sent? The answer, how beautiful are all the feet of those who bring the gospel, every one of us. How beautiful are the feet. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. We are God's trophies. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God ordained that we would walk in. We're his poems. We're being read by all men. Everyone has impact, everyone has purpose. I think what Jesus was saying, look, stop being so self-absorbed, stop navel-gazing. Look, no one likes discipleship more than me. No one thinks you should go deeper with a group of Christians more than me. But when I read my Bible, everyone who went deeper went out. Abraham was the friend of God, and God said, go. Moses met with God on holy ground, God said, go. Isaiah saw the, the glory of the Lord, God said, go to my people. Jesus said, go into all the world. The woman at the well didn't have to go to seminary or Bible class. She went and she was an evangelist. Jesus said, you want a healthy dose of reality? Look up every once in a while. There is an amazing mission and there is an amazing God who wants to to do amazing things in people's lives. I believe in radical intimacy with Christ. I also believe in radical impact. Now, if you have a Martha Bent, you got to get better at being Mary. And if you have a Mary bent, you got to get a little bit better at being Martha. Lou Giglio, who has written Goliath Must Fall, I'll be teaching that class with Laura Briggs on Wednesdays in March, says, when we get close to Jesus, that proximity to him is a work that benefits not only us but others. When we are close to Jesus, we can bring hope and life and freedom and strength to people trapped in despair and darkness. Jesus has a mission for us, and that's always to draw people one step closer to him. The gospel is not the gospel so we can sit around in holy huddles. The gospel is the gospel because life is short and we have a big God. The gospel is the gospel because Jesus leads us to proclaim the truth that he saves anybody and everybody on the planet. People of impact people of purpose. And finally, we're called to be a people of destiny. Uh, Dave, give me the, yeah, one more time. So I shared that decline is what we're trying to avoid. Uh, the first week of the series, we did Pastor Steve's transition, and I said transitions are a normal part of life. I forgot to say everyone will transition at some point, point. and I'm not talking about churches, I'm talking about, Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. We're all going to leave this earth one day, and no one knows when. I was reminded of this when I was in the airport and was just walking down my um, concourse and looking at all the destinations, Portland and Miami and Hanover, New Hampshire, and just going down the list. And I thought, you know, one day, heaven, that's going to be a departure for me. One day, we'll all leave this earth in one major transition. My friend, Andy Crouch, uh, is a wonderful writer. He writes a lot about culture and the future. Generally, those who write in that genre are very low on the church, Uh, and he's very bullish on the church. And I love his book, Power, because he writes so much about culture, and then he really throws a curveball at the end where when he writes about the church, he talks about the gift of institutions. Now, this is strange because... We've been trained that institutionalization of anything is bad, right? Like organized religion. But Andy kind of flips that on its head and he says, "Let's take something in our culture that everybody loves, that everybody thinks that's organic, the NFL." And his argument is that might be, you know, the most institutionalized thing we know. Headquarters in Park Avenue, New York. All the suits walk in every day creating schedules and policy. Uh, All the games start on time. They all are run by referees that get their cue from Park Avenue. Everybody's paid right, paid well. All the analysts wear suits and ties. It's one of the most institutionalized things we know. And we all put on jerseys like it's some, you know, like two guys are beating each other over with a club out in the backyard, right? In other words, Andy's saying, we all know about bad institutions, But there's something about good institutions. Andy said it takes three generations for an institution to cement Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, when I think about what we're doing here, and I think about a new S-curve, I'm not talking about the next five or ten years, I'm talking about the next 100 years. I don't think we did all this work so it would die out with my generation. I think for hundreds of years, if Christ would tarry, this could be a city set on a hill. This is something we can turn over to people in their 30s and 40s debt free and say, hey, you're another generation, you hear from God and go great gods, do great things. So with that in mind, I'm gonna give you a couple things we're gonna do this year and then, and how we're gonna get a little bit younger and kind of get that legacy going. One of the things we're gonna do in September is start a Saturday night service. This isn't groundbreaking, Uh, a lot of churches do this. We've looked at it for a long, long time. Here's why we wanna start a Saturday night. First of all, we don't wanna do it in here, we wanna do it upstairs in the chapel. We want it to be more intimate, more creative. Um, We wanna create a service that has an optimal inviting time. Uh, Nine o'clock's not an optimal inviting time, I think 11 is. Um, But we think Saturday night, people can't use the excuse they have their church to go to. Uh, We'll make it at a time that that, that kind of meets where people like to gather. So that's something we like to do. And we like to do it with a leadership who has done nothing else here. Brand new leadership team that kind of will get off the bench and see that happen. And then we think that can springboard to something that's been on our heart and part of our 2020 vision. And that's an extension campus um, in the Bryn Mawr, Haverford, uh, Ardmore, kind of Conchahawken area. It's strange, we're, we're like still in Delaware County for like another two blocks, I think. And if you go out to the area I just explained, that's about two blocks in and it's still Delaware County and it probably takes 45 minutes to drive the whole thing. So we're very excited about taking that group and then that launching out to an extension campus, which we think can be a little earlier than what we thought 2020, we think it can happen in 2019. In the area of outreach, for the first time in a long time, right before Easter, we're going to give you all the missions trips we're doing for the next two years. There's going to be seven of them. So what goes on now is you see a trip and you jump on it, like maybe you're going to Israel, and then when you get back from Israel, you'll see a missions trip and you'll say, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have gone to Israel, I'd rather go on the mission trip. So we're going to give you all seven trips. These won't be big trips, these will be basketball teams or less. In areas we're very invested in, where there's great things going on, at least half of them will be cheap, under eight or $900, and very easy to get to. Uh, our Kenya initiative is too big and broad to talk about now. There's great things going on. The major endeavor we're involved in this year, um, and if you don't get sports analogies, uh, someone can clue you in later, we're, we're rebuilding our farm system. So... For years, all of our leaders and all of our staff came through our church, which I think is the way it should be. But one of the questions we're asking is, can we get all the talent and calling out of one pool? And the answer is, we don't think so. So um, we're starting to look outside these four walls, and we have a residency program coming up. We're partnering with 12 Stones Church in Atlanta. Uh, They knew they needed to do this, and they started an internship program, and They just needed 10 residents, and now they get 300 applicants, way too many. So they've given us their program, and now we're out recruiting. We had two people just get back from Moody this week in Chicago. Uh, We're going down to Lynchburg, to Liberty. We're going to Eastern, King's College in New York. This is college graduates who want to come here for two years on a stipend, and then maybe we'll hire them at the end. We like to get three new interns every year. I share with you before we're in a national search with a search firm for a youth pastor. We have wonderful youth workers, but we think that getting somebody in here younger with a with a with a heart and a passion to raise up another generation will kind of light that and kind of relaunch it where it needs to go. Um, we're gonna have efforts here to kind of redo our leadership pipeline. Uh, that's still within. And by the way, if you're interested in the residency program, we just don't want to go to Chicago, New York, and Lynchburg. Uh, If you think someone you know might fit this bill, Laura Briggs is at a stand-up table. This is a beautiful brochure that explains everything. And uh, again, we want to get as many of these people with a heart to do full-time ministry as we can. The one thing I want to close with is this. Uh, This was an article in Time Magazine where a Chilean man named Juan Carlos Cruz uh, wrote to to Pope John Paul that how a priest had sexually abused him and how for five years this had been covered up. In his letter to the Pope, Cruz said, Holy Father, I write you this letter because I'm tired of fighting, crying, and suffering. In the gospel, Jesus tells us God's worst punishment is reserved for those who would harm children. In the Catholic tradition, he says the Pope is the vicar. In other words, the Pope stands in for Christ. Uh, He acts and ministers in Christ's name. If that truly is the case, um, you must do something about this scandal. Uh, I'm not reading this to judge the Pope or Catholicism. But that phrase, the vicar of Christ, um, no one, no one stands in for Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. But can I read you a scripture I love and will be there in a few weeks? It's 1 Peter 5, where Peter, who ironically, supposedly is the first pope, says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for money or dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will see the crown of glory that will never fade away. Do you all catch that? When the chief shepherd appears? What that means is we have a chief shepherd And we're just a bunch of under-shepherds. If I ever thought there wasn't a chief shepherd, I would never do what I do. But the reason I can do what I do and show up every week is because there is a chief shepherd. There is one leading us. This is a revolution that we're a part of. And it's a revolution towards rebuilding to wholeness the people that were marred by sin. It's very easy to judge the church Pundits take pot shots at the church. Do you know every time God talks, talks about the church, it's a beautiful thing? And you know where Jesus is the last time I saw him in the book of Revelation? He's walking in the midst of his churches and he's correcting them, he's exhorting them, but it's his church. And he calls it his bride and it's beautiful because Gary Halden got it right. We're not, we're not plan A and God has plan B. We are the plan, we are the church. C.C. Delco is a small subset of that. So wherever we go, whatever we do, as long as we get our orders from the chief shepherd, I think we'll be okay. And something tells me he'll give us maximum impact. You guys agree? Okay.